Shining on them, yes, I'm the token now. Real bright, call me the golden child. Look around, I'm the one that's chosen. Look around, yeah. And that you are going to be ready to hit the ground work, running, um, to just do the work for yourself and for your community. Um, so I have the great pleasure and honor of introducing Miss Tyrese McAllister, soon to be Dr. McAllister. Uh, Miss McAllister um, has been in the mental health field for over 25 years. She just started her um, private practice actually in 2017, so it's really not so new. The name of her practice is the Clinical and Forensic Associates. She has expanded her brand to podcasts, which is called Third Thursday Therapy, which airs on Facebook every third Thursday of the month. She is an author of three books. Wow. The name of the books are Soul Talk Volume 3, My Lollipop in Heaven, and the newest one, Mind Over Matter. Two of those books is actually on Amazon and Barnes and Noble bestseller list. Wow. So she is kicking behind. Um, after the passing of her daughter in 2017, she started um, a nonprofit foundation called the Ayana J. McAllister um, Legacy Foundation, which prevents gun violence. And so she just really just doing her thing in the DMV area. So we are just so lucky to have this queen. And Ms. McAllister, go ahead and just um, tell us a little bit about yourself and also tell us about your books. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you so much to you, Eureka, The Truth, and Sasha. I appreciate you all for having me on your podcast. And I'm absolutely honored to be your very first guest. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and so a little bit about myself. Um, just a regular, ordinary woman doing extraordinary things. I am a wife, a mother, um, a doctoral candidate, um, and I'm a mental health professional. And I've been doing mental health work almost 30 years now. And so, you know, I have, I have a very normal existence, I think, for the most part. Um, but what happened in 2017, um, my 18-year-old daughter was home from college on spring break, and she was murdered in Washington, D.C. And I knew that, um, for the most part, I wanted to just die with her, right? Because mothers shouldn't have to bury their children. Um, and so it was devastating to both myself and my family. Um, but... In the middle of my grief, I knew that this person who killed her had taken, um, had you know, taken her life, and I just refused to give my life over to them. So I went into action. Um, my husband and I created the Ayanna J. McAllister Legacy Foundation, and that foundation deals with the everyday gun violence in the black com and brown community. Because people are talking about gun violence, but they're talking about mass shootings and school shootings. And what I know is that our children, the children that look like me, the children that look like my daughter, are more likely to be shot on their way home from school than they are to be shot in school. And so it was important for me to lend my voice as a mother and a therapist to, to such a fight. 
Um, the other thing that I know, having worked in the school for four years, is that children are not born monsters. Um, and so if you ask a five-year-old what do they want to be when they grow up, they'll tell you they want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a mental health professional even. They want to be a teacher. They want to be something great. Nobody ever says, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be a shooter. When I grow up, I'm going to, you know, kill a bunch of people or I'm going to, you know, use drugs or sell drugs to the community. No five-year-old ever says that. But if something happens in their life that changes the trajectory of their life and they do be, they do start having monstrous behaviors. Um, and so people really are interested in my story because one, I forgave the person who killed my daughter immediately, but I also advocate for the shooter. And I advocate for the shooter in the fact that we need to do something as a community before kids get guns in their hands. So many people fight to have stronger or, you know, more legislation to keep people locked up longer. And that's, that's just not my story. My, I want us to put our money and our energy into preventing children from ever having to pick up a gun. Because either way, the, whether either side you're on of the gun, it's a loss for the community. If you're the shooter, it's a loss for the community. If you are the victim, it's a loss for the community. And so um, the other thing that I did, um, I tried to find books for the children in my family because I know that little children learn through social stories. So I wanted to find a social story about homicide to explain to children because they know that an 18-year-old who was living and going to college one day should I be dead the next day. Mm -hmm. right? Children do have an understanding that, that something is wrong. And what I notice is that people don't talk to the children. Um, they assume because children go back and play, and that's what children do. They go back and play. Um, the parents or the caregivers think that everything is okay and everything is not okay because 20 or 30 years later, they acting out or they've been acting out and now they're on my caseload and I'm seeing them. And so I knew that there was some issues in the community on with that. So I wrote this book, um, Is My Lollipop in Heaven, um, to address the trauma of homicide. And I'm also finishing up a caregiver guide to help the caregiver, people who are left to take care of the children, so that could be parents, it could be older siblings, it could be a youth pastor, it could be a teacher, but it's a non-clinical guide to help children deal with homicide um, that they might experience. Because unfortunately, children experience a lot of homicide in our community. And then the other books I wrote are just, um, they are anthologies, and an anthology is a collection of stories. So several people put their story together under one common theme. And so I participated in my first anthology, which is a bestseller, Soul Talk Volume 3. And that was a college classmate of mine asking me to share my story. Um, and then afterwards, I became a visionary author of two books. And uh, Mind Over Matter is a collection of mental health stories. Because the other thing that we do not address in our community is mental illness. Um, and there's a huge stigma. And the stigma prevents people from getting the kind of treatment that they need to get. And so I had 16 authors who shared their story, and we have everything in there from anxiety to schizophrenia, um, so that people can put a face or a story to mental illness and not just see it as people over there. And hopefully it will also encourage people who might be suffering with symptoms to go ahead and get a diagnosis and get treatment, because treatment absolutely works. 
I, you know, I could talk all day on this stuff. So I'm going to just let y'all ask more questions. <laughs> well, no, no, no. We definitely appreciate that um, because like you said, there definitely is a stigma. And this is why we wanted to do this episode because this stigma has to be broken. You know, we are so quick to say, I'm not going to counseling. I don't want to tell nobody my business and pay all this money. But then we'll run straight to Facebook and put our whole business on there and knowing that ain't nobody really going to help us. The only thing they're going to do is talk about us and send our status to other people for them to talk about you. So it's better for you to say, you know what? Let me go and talk to someone that does not know me, that's going to give me a biased answer so that I can walk, work through my issues in a safe environment. So that definitely needs to be discussed. That's why I spoke to Sasha. I said, well, this, we got to start it off with this because mental health is just getting bigger and bigger. And I definitely think after this pandemic started, it reached a all-time high, you know, in the job that we do. Right. Um, I think that we're getting more phone calls than what we got before this started. So I'm definitely glad to just have you on for that. Um, in reference to, you was talking about your book of My Lollipop in Heaven. Um, I think that's going, that's, that's so amazing that you did that um, because I can just go back to elementary through high school and I had so many of my classmates that died for off gun violence. Like we just outside playing and they're getting shot and everything. And it's like, here we come back to school and we all depressed. Like, man, I just lost my friend. Oh, I saw them get shot and no one addressed it. Right? We didn't have the school psychiatrist, social worker, therapist just to come in there and just talk to us about it. You know, just let them access how we're feeling. They just, okay, go to class. And if we start acting out, you either got suspended either outdoor or indoor. So I definitely think you doing that caregiver guide um, and getting it to the right people would definitely will help. So you got to help these kids process it because they got to understand that this is not normal and this is not something that needs to be normalized. Like we've got to do better and so that we can save our kids in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I totally, totally agree. One, mental health, um, the numbers have gone up. Even in my private practice, I am no longer taking new clients because it is just, I'm busy. I don't even have enough room to take any additional clients. Um, so that is true. And people still are uncomfortable talking about homicide. And I'm going to just share this. I, even as a therapist, my children, I had two daughters, they both experienced homicide, at least four homicides before they graduated from high school. And I checked in with them, but I really probably should have done more work. The other thing is that one thing I, I think about this gun violence movement is it really is at the crux of it about community safety. And anybody and everybody should be able to get behind community safety because the reality is we're not safe in our own communities. My daughter was an 18-year-old college student hanging out with some friends. She wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. She wasn't out in the middle of the night. You know, she was hanging with her sister and some friends that she had met in college. They were doing a music video and um, somebody from the, in the distance just shot into the crowd as they were getting into the cars to go home. I mean, to go to actually they were going out to dinner um, to celebrate this video they had made. And, you know, people are like, oh, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But she was in the community and there were children outside riding their bikes. That's not a wrong place or a wrong time. Um, it is just unfortunate that 
um, homicide for us have become so normal. We become desensitized to it. And that also speaks to our trauma. Like it's okay and it's expected. You know what I mean? So that is another reason why our foundation exists because I don't want this to be normal. I'm now a grandmother and I don't want my grandson to have to say, his friend got killed or he has to go to a funeral. You know, that's devastating that children are going to funerals of their peers. Like I've never even experienced that. And I grew up in a crack epidemic in Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I haven't experienced that. And so you just got to look and be like, what, what is this? What are we coming to? My kids grew up in a two parent home in the suburbs. This should have never been my daughter's plight. It really shouldn't be anybody's plight, but, you know, we all, we have to have all hands on deck to do something about this gun violence. Yeah. Wow. I have so many questions already. Um, but I'll start with when you said that um, trauma is not okay and it should not be expected, right? Like it should not be our norm. Um, our, you know, white brothers and sisters, they don't, on the levels and the degrees that we deal with them, this is not a part of their story, right? Why do you think though, after a tragedy, you know, such as what you experienced happened, that then, you know, a lot of those in our community want to get involved and they want to start these nonprofits and they want to start these groups. Why are we not doing that before, you know, trauma and tragedy hits? You know what? I, I wish I had an answer to that. I think I can tell you that. Um, I too am guilty of that. Not that I would not have participated in in events, but I don't think until it hit my door. Mm. And I mean, and I don't even mean hit my door because I'm gonna just share this. Homicide been hitting my door because three months before my daughter was killed, my cousin was killed, mm. and I've had two other cousins that were killed by gun violence—a cousin and a nephew, rather—that was killed by gun violence. Two of my brother-in-laws, my husband, two two of his brothers have killed themselves with guns. So this is this ain't new to me. You know, like the gun violence and the, the exposure to gun violence is not new to me. But I, it was so easy for me to think that it just wasn't me. And I think that's the that's why I share my story about um, my kids coming from a two-parent household because I think we get real comfortable with yes. if we don't live in the hood mm -hmm. if we have, you have a mother and a father and mother and father have careers and college education we have cameras inside and outside of our home um we had tracking monitoring on the girls phones as they were teenagers right mm -hmm. so we thought we did everything right we thought we put all the protective factors my children grew up in church my children have passports and have traveled abroad you know what I'm saying? They were exposed. My daughter who was killed was on a basketball team. She was very popular and very well liked. So I never thought this was her plight. And so it was real easy for me to be in my bubble to think this is not my, this is not my issue. So that's one thing I think happens that, um, especially us who live in different environments, even though I grew up in the hood, my environment today is different. And I just didn't think that this would be, you know, what we were dealing with. So one, sometimes it just doesn't come to your door or in your face and I, not to your door because it's been at my door it didn't come in my house mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um and not that I would not have supported people who were doing the work because I, you know um I'm a Greek and I grew up doing social work you know so that's not you know feeding homeless and doing all of that 
So it wouldn't be that I wouldn't start a nonprofit, but it wasn't my area of, um, it didn't get my attention the way it does now. So what I, what I focused on prior to, you know, we focus on, you know, what's important to us, right? And so because I got to college by the skin of my teeth and was able to succeed, and that is what transitioned me from having to live in the hood to being able to make some choices about where I live or having a minimum wage job to be able to make six figures, right? So it was education. So I always was pushing education on people. You know, like, um, I'm going to help your kid get to college. I will, you know, just do what I need to do to to make it um, available. I'll take, I took kids on college trips with my own money, you know what I mean, to expose them to, to, to that life because that was my area of interest. Well, now, it's not that it's not my area of interest now, but gun violence totally has my attention and mental illness has my attention. So um, I think people just, you know, have to, it has to hit home for them because I get a lot of support from my friends and my family. Um, but it's different when it's coming in your house. It's just so different. Yeah. And so, um, you know, no slight on people. And that's why I say it's not necessarily guns. Cause I have friends who think it's okay to carry guns. I think it's okay to have a gun. I'm just anti-dangerous people having guns. Mm-hmm. Right. And so some people, you know, even just like you have the Democrats and the Republicans and everybody sees the gun issue differently, but everybody everybody ought to be able to get behind community safety. And so more so than gun violence, even though that's really what I'm talking about, I really push community safety because I should be able to go to work and come home without being shot at, right? Or or killed, you know what I'm saying? I want my husband to come home every single night. You know what I mean? I don't want him to get shot by gun violence. I want my child to go to school and not have active shooter drills, you know? So those are community safety is really what I'm pushing. Okay, definitely. So uh, my question would definitely would be to you is that I think that black and brown people are probably the most oppressed um, people in the world. Um, we can mm-hmm. take it all the way back to slavery. We can take it all the way back to the mass incarceration due to all of that trauma that we experienced, some of us, like you said, you grew up in, in, in the hood of New Jersey. I definitely grew up in the hood of Miami, Florida, Liberty City. Why is there such a bad stigma on people receiving therapy when that is something that could help us? We see our white counterparts going to do it and you know, most of them are thriving and doing what they need to do in the community, but, but for us, we just refuse to do it. We just continue to just let trauma just build and build and build until eventually we snap or either we just become a statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to view it differently, right? So we are people who have been beat down ever since we were stolen from Africa. So that right there is trauma. So we have historical trauma. Like our ancestors were stolen. They were beat they were made to, they made America. Like America wouldn't be America without um, the, the slave movement because our ancestors built this country. Um, but I think that, um, you know, because none of that really is addressed and then we're disrespected, um, we're treated less than, um, and there are systems that are in place that, are, that uh, perpetuate that we continue to live beneath, right? And so 
um, there's sometimes that like the, the what the one thing that I say that really could help us that everybody doesn't have it, and it really goes back to church. If you can have the this um faith of a mustard seed, you don't need a little bit, but if you just have a I mean you don't need a lot, but if you just have a little bit of faith and can see yourself doing something different, right? Because that's what it took for me. It took me to see that I could do something different. Now I could do so I could do the same thing. I could have a baby as a teenager. I could do drugs with my friends. I could do all of the things that other people, but there was something that me. And it's really hard to get a spark in people who are already depressed, already, you mm. know, beat down. And then you, you know, so then now you want me to say there's something else wrong with me. The world is already telling me I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I remember going to um, a high school in Virginia that looked like a college campus. And I'm like, this high school looks better than my HBCU. This is, you know what I mean? So like, white kids get stuff different and people see that i mean i saw it so people see that so you you might not say y'all ain't nothing and y'all y'all are just as good you can say it but that's not what the world is showing us right when you go into a neighborhood that's a black neighborhood it's when you shop in the grocery store or in the in another store in a white neighborhood they got better stuff you know what i'm saying so we've been so now you want me to say something else is wrong with me and I'm going to go talk to um, a therapist and remind mind you, it wasn't many of us doing therapy. So now I got to talk to a white woman about how broken I am. Like, no, I wouldn't be interested in that either. You know what I mean? Until, but if we say, if we talk about it in a way that it's not just, I'm, I'm going to solve your problems because some people come to therapy for that. They sit down and they say, I have the magic answer. No, you do the work. And and it's hard work. It's hard looking at your past. It's hard looking or thinking about all of the people that have hurt you and that you that have done you wrong. And it's hard to think about all of the stuff that you've done wrong or what you have going on and how people judge you. And, you know, it's just a lot. And yeah. so people really do have to be eased into therapy and really have an understanding of what therapy is because it's not just telling me your problems. It's you really putting in some work to help solve your problems and change your thinking and change your mindset, which is not easy to do. And and a lot of people ain't up for the hard work because they can't see the other side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I went to college because I saw the other side of graduating from college will yield me a better paying job. Now I have relatives who couldn't really see that. They was like, I'm going to sell these drugs. And I'm good, right? Because this is what I see for myself. Like there's that that mustard seed of hope of putting in the hard work, right? Even being healthy. Like people don't know what healthy looks like. So it's hard to see that I really can be mentally healthy. Or they don't even know that they ill. So how does it get to the vision of I can do better? So it it just takes a lot of work, which is why I wrote the book. Um, And and have people tell their stories because even when people get a diagnosis, they don't want to take their medicine because they don't want to be broken. And who does? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and when in reference to that, the medicine thing, one thing that I always tell all of my clients when um, they say that they're supposed to take medicine or they don't want to go see a psychiatrist because they don't want the doctor to tell them that they need medicine. Um, I tell them one thing. I said, um, who's going to know if you take a medicine unless you tell them? 
Last mm-hmm. night, I don't think nobody's going to be peeking out your window saying, ooh, look, she's taking that Adderall over there. So they're going to know when you start. Thank you. Thank you. They'll know when you stop, but they won't know when you start taking it. So it's like, and then some of them say, I don't want that label. Again, no one doesn't know unless you tell them. And I always self-disclose just a little bit with my um, clients. And I tell them, I said, listen, I have ADHD and I have anxiety and I have depression. I take medicine myself. I said, so do I look like a crazy person to you? Do I look like, can you label me something right now? And they were looking like, no, you sing fine. I said, okay, do I look successful to you? They're like, yeah. I said, okay, same thing. So you can be whatever you want to be. You just need something to kind of help balance you out so that you can be successful in this world. But if you continue to keep saying, no, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to be labeled. Now you're going to be labeled and you're going to be labeled something negative. And um, I think another thing that you did not address in reference to why, um, you know, our community do not like to go to counseling is let's go on back to some of us who was raised by our grandparents and stuff. You know, they used to tell us what happens in this house stays in this house. So you going to a therapist, that means you got to say what's going on in your house and what's going on in this community. And you, you nine to the 10, you probably will get a whooping because what the, it depends on what you're saying. They got to go back and address this now with the adult. And now you got a problem because now they're afraid that um, uh, children and families is going to come in the house. It may be a removal. They might go to jail. And so now they just put in all that pressure on this kid to say, you just got to keep it all in. And then they become into adulthood with all of that stuff and they're keeping it in. You know, I needed therapy when I was growing up. You know, uh, my mom didn't raise me. She was on drugs. Don't know who my father is. Um, I definitely was molested by a female doctor for three years from eight to 10. And I was afraid to talk about that. And it, it took me to being an adult moving up here in 2018 for me to say, Eureka, you cannot hide this no more. You have to address this so that you could get the healing that you need. It's okay. You got to release this because it's hindering you from getting to the next level in your life. That's right. Eureka, I'm really sorry that those things happened to you, but I just want to, um, you know, reiterate that those are the things that are keeping us so sick. You know, we have secrets. I want to say that I'm very proud of you for um, being able to step out and get help because getting help is not as easy as people may think it is. You know, we always have this mentality, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but the reality is some people don't even have boots right? <laughs> Let alone a strap. Um, and some people just can't get up, which is why I think both you and I are in the helping profession that we want to be able to give people um, that list. Um, and so when you have therapists that look like you, it's easier to divulge because they, they can also understand some of those idiosyncrasies, yeah. like what happens in this house, days and house. The other thing I wanted to say, going back to gun violence, because to me, it's, you know, it's intertwined, but those secrets, again, and, and speaking of things that we were raised with, because, again, I was raised in, in the 80s in North New Jersey in the height of the crack epidemic, and um, there were lots of shootings and all kind of stuff happening in plain view, but you know what they said? Snitches get stitches. Don't tell. And I grew up with that mentality. Mm-hmm. I grew up with that mentality, 
discipline. So I saw a lot of things that I would probably take to my grave. Um, but, you know, like when my when my cousin was killed and my daughter was killed, um, you know, and you have detectives who are trying to get information and people are tight lipped. I really understood it. And I understood it because I'm from the hood. Now, my cousin who got killed, his father, who's also my cousin, they had some reservation about because they actually did find the person who killed their son. Or they, they, well, they went to trial. But the person was supposed to turn state's evidence and couldn't because his life would have been at risk. And I understood that, right? I really, I got it. <laughs> uh, my cousin didn't really get it. And I understand why he didn't get it because that's never been his world. But I will say we've got to get out of that because our secrets are killing us and our secrets are killing the community. Yes. So whether it's being able to reveal so you can heal or if it's um, saying that you can snitch so the community can be safe, we got to stop letting people have guns in our community and we know about it and they're reckless with it and we don't want to tell. We got to do better because, we, I mean, we're killing ourselves. Mm, that is, this is actually a great place to pause for a second. Um, so much of what we shared, it, you know, just was so heavy and we want our listeners um, to be able to step back and digest it all. So thank you guys for joining us for part one um, of our first episode focusing on mental health. Um, thank you to our guest, Tyrese McAllister. We share our condolences. Our heart goes out to you and your family. And we thank you for being an empowered Black woman um, who took such a tragedy and turned it around um, and is empowering other women, families, our culture, our communities. I love where you talked about community safety. If we can't digest gun violence and we can't identify with that, we can absolutely all pull together and identify with community safety. I know Eureka, you wanted to leave um, our listeners um, with some resources for part one um, and we'll let you do that and then we'll wrap up uh, this episode. Yes, yes, yes. So again, um, thank you, uh, Ms. McAllister. Um, we can't wait to have you back for next week for part two, um, just to finish up this dynamic um, discussion. And I'm definitely hoping that everybody's going to be uplifted to really to, to get the help that, that is needed because we, we got to heal. We got to heal. You know, our ancestors, they went through so much and they don't want us to keep going through this trauma. So it's time for us to really to put the stigma out in the garbage where it belongs at and let's do what we need to do so that we can heal as a race as a community and as a family um i just definitely want to leave you all with a resource if you are feeling sad depressed um feeling suicidal um please reach out um to a therapist um if you don't have any um if you don't have an insurance and you don't know what to do you can always reach out to the national suicide prevention lifeline number at 1-800-273-8255. They are 24 hours, seven days a week, and they provide a free and confidential emotional support to really to just help people from all walks of life. So please reach out, utilize this service so that you can begin the first step in getting the healing that you deserve. And just keep in mind that mental health is not a destination but a process. It's about how you drive, not where you are going. So you all be blessed. We love you all. And we'll see you all next time on She's So Out of Order podcast. Shining on them, yes, I'm the token now. 
real bright, call me the golden child. Look around, I'm the one that's chosen. Look around, yeah, I'm the token. Shining on them, yes, I'm the token now. Real bright, call me the golden child. Look around, I'm the one that's chosen. Look around, yeah.